Well, let me open with a, a sentence from a, an opening of a very popular book uh, called The Road Less Travel. This is written by an American psychologist called Scott Peck. And uh, he wrote this book with an opening sentence. Uh, Life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. Life is difficult. A lot of copies of this book were sold, I imagine people resonated with this message. Um, and this book that uh, Scott Peck wrote was about the importance for our life and for our growth as people uh, of coming to grips with the, uh, with the reality of suffering and difficulty in life um, and how to make sense of it and to live through it. And I think most of us would agree, depending on how we're feeling, uh, that life is difficult. Um, this is true. Even an easy life has lots of difficulty in it. Uh, and some people's lives are actually, of course, incredibly difficult, such that it's um, obstacles to overcome even to get up in the morning. Uh, and that's something that uh, troubles most people when they come to think about, well, what is actually the meaning and purpose of the life that we have? And particularly, what is God like if God is real? Because the fact that life is difficult and seems to involve suffering for all of us can make it hard to believe that the world is fundamentally a good place and that there's um, ultimate meaning to our lives. And so this problem, which is called the problem of evil or the problem of suffering, um, is undoubtedly the most difficult problem for Christians and other people who believe in a good God, a good God. Over the years, you know, I've been through a lot of the arguments that people have about whether God is real, whether God exists, and to my mind, the only one that really remains and has really any power and strength over time is this question. Um, if God is good, if God is love, if God is real, then why do we suffer so much? Why is the world full of evil and pain? Uh, and why is life so difficult? And of course, that's not just an intellectual problem. It's a, also a cry of pain that many of us make in the midst of difficult situations. Why, God? Why? And it can be an emotional issue and sometimes becomes a spiritual crisis for people. Why, God? Why? Why do people suffer? And since we do, can we really believe in God or trust God with our hearts and our minds and our life? And so this is the reason why we wanted to look at this book of Job uh, for this term, because if you understand this problem, the problem of suffering at all, if you feel it, um, then the book of Job was written for you and for our reflection. So if you're not familiar with the book of Job, which we just started reading, what it's about, I just want to go over some of the background today to help us understand what it's about as we look at it this term. Um, in the Old Testament, you know, the Hebrew Bible, there are a number of books that are called um, the books of wisdom. And these are writings that actually investigate the nature of the world, that think about life and they think about God from the perspective of human experience. So they're called wisdom books because they're about what people think about God. They're not about direct revelations from God, like the laws that he gave or prophecies. Uh, instead, they're about how the people of faith uh, question and understand their faith in the light of the life that we actually live. And anyone, we think, could come to the same conclusions or similar questions if they put their mind to it properly. And so the wisdom books of the Bible, there are at least three, if you think, look at Proverbs, uh, Job, and Ecclesiastes. And all of those books have different styles. So the book of Proverbs is a series of kind of wise sayings, uh, like the kind of phrases that people might put on inspirational uh, or encouraging notes to put on the fridge or things to put on Facebook to encourage your friends, like something you can quote. Um, 
And you're supposed to read these sayings one by one and think about how they apply to your life so that you can live well and live wisely. The book of Ecclesiastes, on the other hand, which we looked at at St. Mark's a little while ago, it's a record of a series of lectures by a wise man discussing the meaning of life and what, and what, how, what we can believe in. And Job, finally, is quite different again. Now, it's a, it's a different kind of book. Now, we're not sure really when Job was written or who wrote it, uh, but what it seems to have happened is that someone in ancient Israel took an old folk tale about this man, Job, and used it as a framework for their, for their writing about wisdom and about life. So there was a, probably a basic story of Job that was known quite um, well, and it was quite an old story. You know, a sort of story about a rich man who, in olden days, whose faith was tested by God through suffering. And that the story of Job is set a long way back in the olden times of the Bible, when perhaps when Abraham was having his journeys. And it's kind of, Job is kind of a once upon a time story. You even heard it start that way. You know, in the land of Uz, there lived a man named Job. It's like a kind of our fairy tale or you know nursery stories. And I think someone saw that this is a good story to use if you want to get to grips with the problem of suffering and give people a chance to think about it. So as you read Job, if you work through it, it's quite a long book. There are a number of sections in the book. Uh, at the beginning, as we just read, there are, is a section of a story where the situation of Job is set up. You know, so we hear, Job was a very rich and a very good man and very religious. And one day, we read, God and Satan make a wager as to whether Job only worships God because he has all these good things that God's given him. So God permits and a test of Job's integrity by allowing Satan to afflict him with all sorts of terrible trials. And that's the setup. And then there follows this long series of conversations between Job and his friends and between Job and God as to this situation. What's going on? What are the issues around it? And that's what we'll look at in, in coming weeks. And then the book finishes with a resolution. The story comes up again. And spoiler alert, it all ends pretty well for Job. He has a happy ending. So don't worry about it. It's all good. Um, now, so that's the, story, that's the book of Job. And as you can tell, I'm not quite really sure whether there actually really ever was a person called Job or whether these things happened to him in real life. Uh, well, there may have been, but I don't think it's necessary to read it that way. It's not one of the historical books of the Old Testament looking at God's people's history. Uh, it's, in the, it's, it's in the Bible for the reason uh, to show us the wisdom of life. Uh, if you read the book, it doesn't seem to be a record of a real person and his real conversations. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling bad, I don't tend to sit around spouting forth a long series of poetry as Job does, you know, um, and that's how it sort of works out. So I think we can best read Job as we look through it in the next weeks as a kind of play. It's a drama, uh, something you might go to the theatre to watch or to the movies and to raise questions for yourself to think about and to wrestle with. It might change the way you think about God and about suffering. And so at its heart, I think what Job is, it's an exploration of this problem of suffering and what it means to experience suffering and particularly questioning some of the conventional beliefs that people of that time had about God and about how God runs the world. And that might question some of ours too. So to sum it up, Job really asks two questions of us. And the first question is, why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? And the second question, which is, I think, a deeper one, is, well, who is God, really? Who is God? Why do people suffer, and who is God? And as we'll see, the, the big question for Job and his friends is whether you can continue to believe uh, the most common explanation that they had in their culture for why people suffer, and which is called the idea of the punishment and reward framework. Okay.
So the, this idea was a very common idea, and it still is today, that it's the idea that there's a set of moral rules in the universe which describe how things work and which make sure things happen as they should. And the idea is it means that in life, good people are rewarded for their good behaviour and bad people suffer and are punished. So this idea is uh, perhaps that God has made the universe in such a way that if you do the right thing, you will have a good life. If you do the wrong thing, you will not. Very simple, isn't it? Um, and that explains, in this view, why bad things happen to people. They have done the wrong thing. And while this idea might, may seem hard for us to take seriously today, um, when we put it that way, it actually has a few things going for it as a philosophy of life. Uh, the first thing is that it's in one sense obviously and demonstratively true. Uh, it's true that when people live good lives, when they do the right thing, often they end up better than those who don't. People, people who treat each other, other people badly and treat themselves badly often end up in a bad place. The universe does run in such a way that good people often do better. And that's the kind of advice, if you read Proverbs, the book, that's the kind of advice it gives. If you live well, if you are wise, your life will go well. Um, generally speaking, this view says if you're a wise and good person, you'll do better than if you're an evil and foolish person. So that's one thing it has in its favour. Secondly, though, the second thing about this idea, and it's perhaps more powerful thing for us, is that if you believe this idea, if you take it on board, if you believe it, it makes a great deal of sense of the world and can make you feel safe. It's a, good, it's, it's a way of understanding why things happen. You say everything is happening for a reason. And if I just keep on the right side of the laws, I will be okay. And things will turn out right for me and my family. And I think that most of us, if we examined how we respond to some of the things that happen in the world around us, this is how we often actually think. Um, when bad things happen to people, it's quite common for people to say, well, you know, they had it coming. They had it coming. Why do they have it coming? And if we're honest, often we also feel a bit ripped off, I think, if the bad, when bad things happen to us or people that we care for, when we've been good and we've been trying to do the right thing, as though that's not fair. The world shouldn't work that way. It seems right and natural to us that the universe would acknowledge our good behaviour and reward it for us, reward us for it. Of course, though, I mean, the default view, I think, in our culture is that there is no such set of laws and there's no real meaning and purpose to the things that happen and the way that life treats us. But we still do often think and act as if it were true in the way we talk about things. And so this is the attitude, this is the belief that Job is exploring as a book. And it's a very rich topic to get into. And the way, book, the way the book does it, of course, is by giving us the most extreme and blinding example of an instance where this rule doesn't work or it doesn't seem to, take, um, to be holding. So we have Job in this story. He's the best man of his day. He's a wise man. He is good. He is careful. He is reverent towards God. He is so scrupulous towards God that even, even makes a special sacrifice, as we read, on the day after his children have a party in case, you know, when they had a bit too much to drink, they did something bad. He's that worried about um, the, doing the right thing. And in addition to being good, he is the most wealthy and successful man in his country. He has thousands of animals. He's got it all. So Job is the living embodiment of this uh, reward idea, if you know, and he was he was rewarded for it. If you're a great, he's, if you saw Job walking down the street, you'd want to talk to him. You'd be honoured if he visited your home. He's the sort of person people would quote in the local paper when things, you know, big issues came up. He is a living example of punishment and reward. He's done the right thing. He is being rewarded for it. He's a great man. 
So what happens when the rule doesn't seem to work anymore? How do we deal with it when someone like Job loses everything that he has in a single day? Does this system of punishment and reward still hold in some mysterious way, or is it actually breaking down? So that's the setup that we have in chapter 1 that we read. And of course there's a bit in there about why this is happening, about God and Satan and their wager. And people sometimes get a bit stuck on this as we read it, you know, because though it tells us a lot, something really about God and why people suffer, and it seems very unfair and even a bit cruel of God, doesn't it, just to put Job through all this when you read it. Um, and as I said, I think it's really meant just to set up the story. It's not quite a big theological point about God and how he works. Um, you know, for an analogy, you know, we tell lots of jokes uh, where the setup is that someone turns up to the pearly gates in heaven and St. Peter's there right, ready to talk to them about their life. Now, you would be a bit, I think it would be a misunderstanding if we took away from this the idea that we can actually talk about what the gates of heaven actually look like and, and you know, how Peter's sitting there. It's just a setup for the joke and the situation that people find themselves in. And I think in Job, a bit, the, the bit about God and Satan is really setting up the situation about someone who's suffering. Because you don't hear much about the bet once the book goes on. People don't talk about it. Uh, and Satan, by the way, is not quite the devil in Job, as we think of it. Um, the name Satan means the adversary. So he's more like a prosecutor in court trying to find someone guilty. So the idea is here he's kind of set up as the lawyer in God's court who wants to test people's integrity. And he's chosen Job. Anyway, so the point is to set up this most extreme test possible of the idea that people suffer because they have been bad. It's so extreme, this example of Job, it's to make you sit up and pay attention. How is this going to work out? How are they going to sort this out? What happens when the best and the wealthiest man in the world loses everything? What does that mean? Will he still believe in God? Will he still believe that God's just and God's good? Uh, or will he throw in the towel? Will he give up his faith? And will this show us that the whole thing is a lie? How will he work this through? So Job is meant to be an extreme story, I think. It makes you think. Because it's challenging to our ideas, perhaps, of how the world works, how things might be fair or unfair, and whether there is justice in the world for us. And it's a challenge for our, for our belief, of course, whether or not God is actually good. But in another sense, it's not an extreme story at all. Uh, in a real sense, the only extreme thing about Job's story is that it all happens to him in a couple of hours. So he goes from having everything to having nothing in a very short period of time, doesn't he? But really, if you think about it, in fact, all of us actually, in time, lose everything that we have. And we end up where Job is. Over time, we do lose our wealth, we lose our family, we lose our health. And in the end, we lose our life. And it might take 100 years for that to happen, but it's going to happen. Uh, so we're all Job in the end. Job is everyone. Okay? Job is the human race in our experience of suffering. And that's why his story and his struggle is important for us. Because his questions are the same questions that we might have and that you might have. What do you think when this happens? What do you really believe? Who is God? Is God good? Why do people suffer? What do you believe? Uh, is there any purpose or meaning to life when we do? Is it possible to hope or to have faith in the face of suffering? So these are the questions that Job raises for us. And, you know, there are no easy answers to these questions. And the whole point of Job, we'll see as we go on, is to debunk the idea that there is easy answers and to show how hard it is actually to wrestle with the problem of suffering. And we'll see where, over time, where he gets to with these questions and with his relationship with God. But alongside this, we also might see there may be another way through this. 
for Christians who have a New Testament perspective. So as we go through Job, I want us also to bring face-to-face with a Christian answer or a Christian approach to these questions as well as what Job says. Uh, And the Christian answer to the problem of suffering is not actually an intellectual answer, there is that, but it's actually in the end a person. So, Because there is someone, of course, who is the reality of something that Job is just the symbol of, the suffering human. Um, Jesus, of course, I mean, the ultimate and the innocent sufferer, and the one who brings this, the, the problem of suffering to its most acute point in the Bible. Um, he is the one who suffered in the way no one else has, and he faced evil and suffering directly. And so God, Jesus went on a journey too, as Job did, to lose everything that he had, and more than Job did, and he lost it voluntarily and for a purpose. So that speaks to us something about the problem of suffering in a deeper way and adds to what Job has to say. So we'll think about Jesus too as we go along. And I hope that as we go on we will find that the Im- in the image of Jesus, particularly Jesus on the cross, uh, we see an echo of Job and his sufferings and some of the answers to these questions and things we can live by. Um, and see, perhaps see something that reveals to us who is God and who really is he. Why do we suffer? And also, why does God suffer alongside us? That's a mystery. So those are big questions. Some of the biggest questions there are, and so much hangs on them for us about what can I hope for in the midst of life and in the midst of suffering? So can I believe really that God is good and that God is love? Very hard, but let's wrestle with it together and with Jesus too. And at the end, I hope we can say firmly and with conviction what the Apostle John said. He was a man who'd seen Jesus die on the cross. And he, and he could say it despite everything the world has to offer us in the way of pain and grief. He says, this is what Jesus has shown us. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. So we're on our way to that. Let me pray. We're going to take, give this time to God and his questions and answers. Lord, we open up to you today our hearts, which are often troubled by the problem of suffering and the pain and the lack of purpose that it seems to bring. And we pray that as we wrestle with Job and his words and with Christ and his journey, that you would open us to the real meaning of life, the purpose of suffering if there is one, and reveal to us in a deep way your goodness and your love in a new and fresh, fresh way. So I pray that everyone here would be encouraged and uplifted as we go out into the world. In Jesus' name, amen.